All right, take a seat and open up your Bible to Romans chapter 15. We're going to look at just one verse today, verse 13. Here's what it says. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, most of us are aware of the economic costs of the COVID lockdown. You know that in the restaurant industry alone, 90,000 went out of restaurants, went out of business, leaving 5 million people without jobs. As reported in the Wall Street Journal, uh, a University of Chicago uh, survey found that 80% of the total damage for COVID was as a result of the things that they did to protect us. Only 20% actually came from the disease itself. It really is true that in this case that the cure was worse than the disease. But uh, there was not only just great economic costs involved in the shutdown, there's also social costs, particularly for young people. According to a CDC report looking at the mental health of youth, during the, last 12, or during the 12 months before the survey, 44.2% experienced persistent feelings of sadness and hopelessness. 19.9% said they had seriously considered suicide, and 9% of youth had attempted suicide. Not allowed to go to school, separated from friends. For many, their parents had lost jobs and tension in the home was rising. It's not surprising to me that kids might be negatively impacted by a two-year shutdown to curb a virus that even if they got 99.9997% would survive. I have no doubt that coronavirus added to the problems. Suicide rates jumped 30% from 2020 to 2022 but they had actually been rising steadily since 1990. Why is that? Is it because life is more difficult now than it was in the past? More fearful, more stressful? Perhaps, but at least when it comes to physical part of life, I mean, it was certainly harder 100 years ago when everybody lived on the farm. What about the Great Depression? That was a very stressful time. I am certain that 19% of youth were not contemplating suicide at that point. Perhaps it's not so much, though, a matter of uh, circumstances as it is outlook. Maybe it's not a mental health crisis, but rather a crisis of a faith that Americans are experiencing. You know, for those who are in what are called the silent generation, those born between 1928 and 1945, only 11% identify as atheists, agnostics, or have no religious uh, beliefs. For those who are the baby boomers, which is me, uh, 1948 to 1964, that number is 17%. For Gen Xers, born in 1965 to 1980, it's 23% who identify as that. But for millennials, born from 1981 to 1996, that number shoots up to 36% consider themselves atheists, agnostics, or have no religious beliefs. There's a lot of people going through life hopeless. Do a Google search with the word hopelessness and see how many websites come up offering help to overcome despair and hopelessness. The Oprah Daily website gives a few suggestions for women who are feeling hopeless. Number one, take a bubble bath. Two, do a face mask. Now I think they mean by that the cream on the face and the cucumbers on the eyes, probably not the kind that they're making all of us wear. And the last of their seven was to seek professional help. Well, one professional, Robert Dehi, uh, or Leahy, 
uh, who wrote an article for Psychology Today, said that it helps to practice what he calls mindfulness. Don't think about the past or the future, but simply be mindful of the things that are going on at the moment. He writes this, Hopelessness is always about the future. Mindfulness is about the present moment. You can try any number of mindful exercises, such as being mindfully aware of your breathing or paying attention to the sights and sounds around you. Peel an orange and immerse yourself in the fragrance or listen mindfully to relaxing music. Bring yourself back in a non-judgmental awareness of the present moment so you can release for that moment, be released from that moment from the oppression of your hopelessness. Pastor, I'm feeling real hopeless. Here, take an orange, bring it home, peel it, breathe deeply, and that should fix your problems. Well, the way to feel, fix our feelings of hopelessness is not bubble baths and peeling oranges, but rather it's giving people something to hope for and something to hope in. For the Christian, our hope is for God's future grace to come to us in blessings, and the promise that it will be fulfilled is our confidence that because we belong to Jesus, as many as are the promises of God in him are yes as it says in the scripture. Well, today as we look at verse 13 of chapter 15, we want to see Paul's, uh, as he closes uh, his discussion on the unity of the church, he, we want to see uh, the prayer that he offers up for believers that would, uh, God would cause their uh, hopes to abound. And because I want your hope to increase as a result of this sermon, we want to consider this verse this morning. So why don't we pray and then get into the text. Father God, I do pray for grace and mercy. Help us as we look at this and fill us with hope and joy. Bless us now to that end. We ask in Christ's name, amen. Well, this uh, verse is only one verse, but I think we can still divide it into five parts, and I'll give you each one starting with the letter P. So the first you can put down is the, prov the provider, meaning the provider of this hope. Secondly, the petition. Third, the process. Fourth, the purpose. And fifth, the power. Now remember where we are in this section of Romans. Paul has been trying to heal a rift between the Christians and the church, those he deems the strong of faith and those he considers to be weak in faith. Now, he's not contrasting their amount of trust that they have in Jesus, but their understanding, whether it's a strong understanding of faith or a weak understanding of the Christian faith. You see, since Christ has come and established the new covenant, God's people, whether they're Jews or Gentiles, are no longer required to keep a kosher diet or maintain certain holy days. The weak in faith are those Jews who still, still felt uneasy about uh, jettisoning these practices. And what Paul is saying is he doesn't really care whether they keep these practices or not. What he wants is for both sides, neither side, I should say, to look down upon the other as a result. God has brought Jews and Gentiles into one church, making the two into one body in Christ. That's always been God's intent, as he shows from a string of quotations from the Old Testament. The last one of which is from Isaiah, where he says this, There shall come from the root of Jesse, and he who will arise to rule over the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles will hope. Now, picking up on the theme of hope, Paul goes on to make his prayer. And the first thing we see in it is the provider of this hope. And we know from the scripture that God is a God of love and a God of grace and a God of mercy. But we also know that he's a God of justice and a God of wrath. He's also the one who supplies us with hope. And that's why Paul starts by praying, saying, now may the God of hope. What is hope? Well, hope is a desired, positive outcome. I hope to get into Harvard. I hope to get married and have kids someday. I hope that the police car racing up behind me with his lights flashing is going to pass by me and pull somebody else over. Hope is always related to something yet future, 
For as Paul told us earlier in the book of Romans, for in hope we've been saved, but who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for that which we do not see, through perseverance we wait eagerly for it. But you know, I have to say, as we use the word in the modern parlance, hope usually has some kind of a weak or almost apologetic sense to it. Do you think the Vikings will go to the Super Bowl and win this year? I hope so. That doesn't sound very confident, does it? Well, the Vikings have gone to the Super Bowl four times before and have let us down each time. They haven't even been there for 45 years. I think it's time for them to go back and let us down again. Well, in the Bible, hope is never something that's weak, wishful thinking. Rather, it's a, a rock-solid certainty that buoys our faith. As a matter of fact, you can think of hope as like a buoy out in a, an ocean and, and uh, with rough waves. And it's as we're grabbing hold, that's our faith, that it uh, holds us up and keeps us from being washed away by the waves of difficult circumstances. And when hope is needed the most and shows itself the clearest is when everything looks hopeless, and yet we keep on hoping. Charles Spurgeon put it this way, he said, Hope is a star not to be seen in the sunshine of prosperity and only to be discovered in the nice uh, night of adversity. 1988, civil rights leader Jesse Jackson ran for president. His campaign slogan was, Keep hope alive! Well, the psalmists are always exhorting us and urging believers to keep hope alive. Psalm 31, 4 says this, Be strong and take heart, all you who hope in God. Psalms 37, 34 says, Hope in the Lord and keep his way. He will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are destroyed, you'll see it. But you know, honestly, sometimes the psalmist is not exhorting others. He's actually exhorting himself. Psalm 42, 5 says this, Why are you downcast, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in the Lord, for I shall yet praise him again for the help of his countenance. I mean, sometimes you honestly have to give yourself a spiritual pep talk. Reminding yourself that despite all that we see and experience, God can still be counted on. I mean, our problem is that we put our hope in almost anything but God. We place our hope on uh, political leaders and uh, parties and hope in the stock market, our own skills and our own resources. But the problem is, is leaders can fail us and parties can betray their platforms. And markets can crash. And, and how many times have you failed yourself? The only way to keep hope alive is if we keep looking to the one who will never disappoint us, God himself. That brings us to the second point, though, the petition in the prayer. The petition in the prayer. Um, what rights are enshrined in the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution? Well, freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of the press. But there's another one that most people forget. Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the right of free speech or of the press or of the right of the people to peacefully assemble and to petition the government for redress of grievances. We have the right to peaceably assemble and protest against what our government's doing. And that's called petitioning them. Now when we use the word petition, we usually mean or use it in connection with some kind of political thing. But it, it simply means to ask, as in making a request of someone in authority. Do you remember when Haman, that wicked man, convinced King Azarias to uh, sign a decree to uh, exterminate and wipe out the Jews? I mean, the king at that time was married to a woman named Esther, and he didn't know that she was a Jew. Mordecai, the man who raised Esther, came to her and said to her, you know, you have to do something. You've got to find a way to go to the king and plead for us. 
She said, but you don't understand. I can only enter into the king's presence if he summons me. If I enter in unbidden and he doesn't extend the royal scepter to me, he'll put me to death. Well, even though she was the queen, she hadn't seen the king for over a month. She hadn't been summoned by him. And so she was taking a real risk by approaching him. But she finally agreed and said, if I perish, I perish. So trembling, she goes into the throne room. And we read this. When the king saw Esther, the queen standing in the court, she obtained favor in his sight, and the king extended to Esther the golden scepter, which was in his hand. So Esther came near and touched the top of the scepter. Then the king said to her, what's troubling you, Queen Esther? And what is your request? Even up to half my kingdom, it shall be given to you. It was only at that point that she made her petition. Now contrast the feeling of trepidation and fear that she approached the king with compared to what the author of Hebrews says we can have when we approach God. He says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest, talking about Jesus, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is tempted in all things that we are yet without sin. Therefore, listen to this, Therefore, let us draw near with confidence, or as the King James says, come boldly to the throne of grace so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews 4, 4 to 16. What, do you think you can march right into the throne room and just start telling the king everything you need? Yes, I can, because I have a royal invitation, and if you look carefully at the bottom, it was authorized by the king's son, and it was signed in his own blood. What's Paul's petition of the court of heaven here on behalf of the Roman Christians? He asked for two things, that God would fill them with all joy, and peace. By the way, is there a difference between happiness and joy? Most people use the terms interchangeably, but there is a difference. Both are feelings, but happiness depends on what's happening in your life. Joy is experienced as inner contentment, and that can be there regardless of what's happening in our life. You see, for the Christian, joy is internally generated by the Holy Spirit. As Jesus said in John, 5, 37 to 39, he said, now we read this, now on the last day at the, of the great uh, day of feast, Jesus stood up and cried out saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost beings will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the spirit whom, they, uh, whom those who believed in were to receive, for the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Jesus said, these things I spoke to you, that your joy, my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. John 15, 11. I've got joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. The other thing Paul asks for here is peace. Now by peace, he doesn't mean peace with God. If you're a Christian and you've trusted in Christ, the moment you did, God wiped out the debt, his anger towards you is gone, and now it's nothing but love and commitment to you. Peace has been accomplished by Jesus. He's not talking about peace with God, but the peace of God, the peace that we experience in our hearts by trusting in him. As Paul says in Philippians 4, 6 to 7, he says this, be anxious for nothing. Let's just stop. Does he say be anxious for most things? Nothing? No. He said be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In other words, if you've got problems, just go to God and say, God, this is what I'm dealing with, and I can't deal with it anymore. It's so hard. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And now notice in this petition here, Paul's asking that God would fill us with joy, and all joy and all peace. See, every Christian 
experiences peace and joy in a measure. But what Paul wants is for God to grant that we experience in a great abundance. I mean, wouldn't you like to have double the joy that you have right now? And a peace that keeps you calm and steady no matter what's happening in your life? I know that I would. But how does he do it? How does it happen? What's the process in this that God uses? That brings us to our third point, the process which God uses. Now, one of the things I like to do, I like to watch YouTube videos where you, it's called How Things Are Made. And you can watch the video and they'll take you like through a factory and show how something's made. And one of the ones I watched was the Zildjian Symbol Company. Symbols, you know, like this. And uh, they take, and you, there's just a piece of, of metal. It's made out of silver and copper and uh, tin. And then they flatten it out and then they spin it and they get it perfectly round. And when they're done, they, they go and take it, uh, and cut into it the grooves. And then when it's all done, it's still hand hammered by an individual. Do you know that the Zildjian Symbol Company has been making symbols since the 1300s? That's a long time. I also liked watching the one of the factory uh, that makes Butterfinger candies. Uh, do, do, you know the, do, you know what, do you know what the center of that candy bar is? What it's made out of? Cornflakes. Did you know that? Cornflakes, yeah, and peanut butter. And sugar, 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 more sugar, right? Well, what, what's the process that God uses by, to, to fill us with hope and joy and peace? Paul says that he comes in believing. It says we read God's word, meditate on his promises, and claim them for our own, that we experience greater and fuller and deeper joy and richer peace, even in the midst of trials and persecution. Peter put it this way in 1 Peter 1, 3-9. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away, reserved for you in heaven, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last times. Now listen to this. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you're distressed by various trials. And why do we go through these? So the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. So this afternoon I'm going to be talking to a, a priest, a friend of Dave. He's going to be at my house between three and four. Make sure you're praying for him. We'll talk about all kinds of things, but I've noticed something when I talk to people who are Catholic. For them, it's all about the relationship to the church. It's never about the relationship to God himself. Have you ever thought of how absurd we must seem to non-Christians? That we love some carpenter who lived on the other side of the world, who lived and died 2,000 years ago, and we're willing to lay down our life for him? And though you do not see him, have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you, but you believe in him, you, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible, full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing, hearing of the word of Christ. If you're a believer, the growth of your faith is directly related to the amount of God's word that you take in. Go weeks without reading the Bible and you'll find that your faith begins to weaken and consequently your joy diminishes and your peace will begin to evaporate. Read the scripture daily, studying it, meditating on it, and putting it into practice, you'll find that your joy will overflow and you will have peace and calm even in the midst of the storms of life. 
the rock band, Journey, sang a song that had this refrain in it, Don't Stop Believing. But that was written about a singer in a smoky room, a smell of wine and cheap perfume. I'm speaking to the children of God. Don't stop believing. The promises made in Scripture by the God of all hope who can fill you with joy and peace. That brings us to our fourth point, though. The purpose in granting this petition. What's God's purpose? Paul prays that God, the God of hope will fill the Roman Christians with all joy and peace, but to what end? And here it comes. So that you will abound in hope. Now the Greek word for abound here means to go beyond and above, to be richly for, uh, furnished. Now when I, when I thought about that word rich, I, I thought about like desserts. You know, We talk about a dessert being, oh, that's so rich. What does that mean? It means it's got a, a lot of sugar, and a lot of fat, a lot of the stuff that makes it taste good. But that reminded me of a time when Suzanne and I visited uh, Pastor Jeff and Dina when they were in England. And at one point we decided we were going to stop at a bakery and get something to eat. And so we did. Now if it had been a French bakery, uh, we could have eaten croissants and baguettes or madeleines. Uh, those are, quote, distinctive shell-shaped tea cakes made with eggs, plain flour, sugar, and loads of butter, and when made right, lighter than air. Or we could have gone to a German bakery and had apple strudel or peach kuchen or kuchen, cherry dessert. Ja, wunderbar. But no, we went to an English bakery. I don't remember what we bought, but I remember how it tasted. Horrible. I don't know what the ingredients were, but I'm sure at least a couple of them had to do with sawdust. And uh, they must have ran out of sugar that day. We threw them away. Now, in preparing for this sermon, and thinking about that, I found a website that it was titled this, 18 Seriously Disgusting British Desserts That Need to Be Stopped. I have to put in a, you know, by the way, one of them was lardy cakes, which is made mostly of pig fat. Now, I have to put in a disclaimer at this point because we do have some people who listen online from England. I did have some fish and chips uh, that were wonderful when I was there, and the best pizza I ever had in my entire life was from Piccadilly Circus, uh, but I do have to mention that it was a couple of Greek guys who actually sold it to us there. Now, Paul wants his readers, including us, to have the deepest, richest, sweetest, most soul-satisfying hope that we can. A hope that can sustain us in the midst of difficult times. Major Hal Kushner was a prisoner who was held captive for more than five years during the, North, or during the Vietnam War. Kushner describes in one of his talks about a uh, fellow American prisoner, uh, a tough 24-year-old Marine who had made a deal with his captors. The Marine agreed to uh, cooperate with the enemy. In return, the commander of the prison promised that he would let him go. Well, the young Marine did whatever was asked of him. He became a model prisoner. He even became a leader of the camp thought report, uh, uh, reform group. But before long, it became clear to him that the camp commander had lied to him and the Viet Cong had no intention of actually releasing him. And this is how Major Kushner describes what happened next. He said this, When the full realization of this took, uh, took him, uh, took hold, he became a zombie. He refused to do any work at all. He rejected all offers of food and encouragement. He simply lay on his cot, sucking his thumb. In a matter of weeks, he was dead. The Russian novelist Dostoevsky said this, to live without hope is to cease to live. That proved true for this young Marine. He sold out his country for a false hope, and when it failed, in the end, it brought him to a quick and ignoble death. See, if you, if you put your faith 
and your hope in the goodness of God, which comes through Christ, you'll never find that it fails you. That brings us to our last point, though, the power, the power to bring it about. Yes, as Christians, we need to keep hope alive so that it can abound. But where do we find the power to blast through the walls of doubt and despair? We need more power. Can you give us any more? Yes, God can give us more power through the Holy Spirit. I mean, if we left to ourselves, having to rely on our own abilities, strength, and resources, we are going to fail miserably in every aspect of our life. I mean, we don't have the desire and the discipline, the faith and the fortitude to keep going even in the, when the journey is smooth sailing and how much less when our ship of faith is capsized by the waves of adversity if we don't have the Holy Spirit guiding and empowering us. Do you remember what Jesus said when he was getting ready to go back to heaven? Speaking of the Spirit, he told his disciples this in Luke 24, 49, starting 49, he says this, Behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. Paul said that it was given to him to make known the riches of the glory of the mystery of among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He says, we proclaim him admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Listen to this. For this purpose, I also labor, striving according to his power, which works mightily within me. Paul was amazed by what the Holy Spirit was doing in and through him. And that same spirit indwells every believer. And the one thing, and one of the things that he does is generate hope in us. Like Carly Simon saying, anticipation is making me late, it's keeping me waiting. Well, it keeps us waiting as we abound in hope, filled with joy and peace. And what a difference it makes to go through life and then also to face death with this hope. I watched for a second time an Atlantic magazine YouTube video entitled, A 97-Year-Old Philosopher Faces His Own Death. I encourage you to watch it. It's about 18 minutes long. The 97-year-old philosopher is Herb Fingeret. Uh, the video begins with him waking up in the morning. He struggles to sit up and reaches over for his walker. His caretaker helps him to get dressed and leads them into the kitchen for breakfast. In the video, he talks about what it's like to be old. He says, a person really can't understand it until he or she experiences it. Everything he said you do, you do more slowly, often with the help of others. He says, it's all just a challenge. Now, philosophers like to think, and Herb has thought about and written about a lot of things in life. He wrote a book on psychology, one on self-deception, another one on Chinese philosophy. He wrote on ethics and the theory of law, and he also wrote a book on death. In his book about death, he said this, that it was a nut in a nutshell, he said in his book, he argued that there's no reason to be afraid or concerned about death because when you die, there's nothing. You're, just, you're not going to suffer. You're not going to be unhappy. Well, you're just not going to be. So there's no rational reason to be afraid of death. And then he said this, I now think that's not a good statement. I think that it's important to figure out why people are afraid of death. Why am I concerned about it? It haunts me knowing that I'm dying soon. I often walk around the house and I ask myself, what's the point of it all? There's something missing in this argument. I wish I knew. I think the answer may be, there is no point. And at that part in the video, he sits down after putting a record on his phonograph player. And as he's listening to it and waving his hands, he starts talking about his wife, who had died just a couple years before, 
we had been married to for 70 years. Then he began to cry. He says, I've written books on a number of other topics, and in each case I felt that I'd solved the problem, but this is not resolvable. It's the one thing that I've tried to come to terms with but fail. So I just go on existing, waiting, waiting until I have to say goodbye. You know, he didn't have to wait very long because two months after that video was made, Herb Fingerette died. Four million people have watched that video. 31,000 have left comments. One viewer wrote this. I broke down in tears watching this film. Quite a crushing experience for me. You're telling me that a man, a philosopher, who faced, was, when faced with death, still asks these same questions that I'm asking myself at 21? The person who had a thought of these fundamental questions for his entire life came back to the square one and never even moved from it. He says of himself, overall, he felt life was happy. But all I sense in him is confusion, sadness, and fear. Where's the happiness in all of that? Does it end like that? Is confusion every man's epitaph? This is the comment I left. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Christians do believe this. And that's why the Apostle Paul, writing to believers who had lost loved ones, said this, We weep, but not as those who have no hope. Herb Fingeret did not believe in Jesus, so he lived and died without hope. How very sad. Christians live in hope, knowing that whatever happens in our life, God causes all things to work for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And we, we know that when we die, the moment we leave this world, we're going to enter into the presence of God. And when Jesus returns, we will be resurrected and given glorious new bodies, incapable of sinning, with greater capacities to enjoy uh, life and pleasure. And we, along with all of God's people, will spend eternity in a new heavens and a new earth, thrilled and being overjoyed with all that God will do for us in Christ Jesus. As it says in Psalm 1611, you have made me to know the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy, and in your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Because of our hope in Jesus Christ, we're not only filled with joy and peace, but we can abound in hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Are you abounding in hope? May God give you the grace. Let's pray. Our Father in God, when things are going well, I suppose, yeah, we shrug our shoulders. But when the bottom's falling out in life and there's all kinds of things that look like they may swamp us, then uh, to hear that you're still in control and that our hope is secure is of great value. Father God, I pray for each one here. All of us have faced difficulties in the past and hardships and fearful things, and we're going to face more in the future. But we can be of good cheer because Jesus has overcome the world and our victory has been guaranteed by him. So we pray, Father and God, that you'd make us people filled with hope and uh, sharing this hope with others. So bless us now, we ask in Christ's name.